I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey everyone and welcome to Come for Supper. I'm Alexandra Dudley, food writer, cook and serial dinner party host. So I thought it'd be fun to sit down with people who share that love for food chat about life and learn a little bit more about how they like to serve supper. I speak to chefs, restaurateurs, artists, actors, authors, and pretty much anyone who likes to entertain. If you're new to the podcast, make sure you click subscribe. And if you enjoy it, rate it, review it, share it, and tell your friends as it makes all the difference. Thanks for listening. And I hope you enjoy the show. Good evening, everyone, and welcome to tonight's Come for Supper Live. So tonight we have a very special guest and someone who, for me at least, has definitely shaped the way that I look at food, especially in terms of its simplicity and I think its ability to bring comfort. Um, A restaurateur, she is the owner of Soho's Duck Soup and East London's Little Duck, The Pickery. She is also co-founder of her own food and drink PR company, 84PR, and is also the co-author of the Duck Soup Cookbook. Welcome, Claire Latin. Hello. <laughs> Thanks Hello. for having me. <laughs> Thanks for being here. So where have you come from this evening? Um, this evening, I have come from um, Clerkenwell. But today, um, a little bit more exciting is I came up from Dartmoor um, on the train this morning, which is um, where my boyfriend's just moved to. So I'm kind of spending the weekends down there quite a lot. He's just bought a bit of land and we're sort of rejuvenating it. Nice, really relaxing. Are you growing things? Yes. And I, 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 yeah, I'm, I'm, growing, I'm rejuvenating a vegetable garden, but more than that, I'm kind of trying to create an um, edible food forest. Well, grow one, not create. <laughs> um, kind of permaculture style. So it's something I've been thinking about for the last two years and it's a 10-year project and I haven't even planted my first tree yet, but anyway. Wow, an edible food forest. So is that, do you mean an orchard or...? Um, well, no, kind of like, just like looking at nature as the way permaculture does and just looking at, um, I mean, I guess, you know, modern agriculture or agriculture as we know it is about growing vegetables and so on, which deplete the land and and, and there's other ways that we can get our food. And actually we think a little bit more about it in terms of, um, trees and what they can grow, like berries, nuts, Mm -hmm. leaves from trees, early sprouting leaves and so on. You can probably sort of eat 30% to 40% of, um, of, of, of your food from the forest. Cool. So just thinking a little bit more about that. Really cool. 12 year project. Of course, we'll have to catch <laughs> up. 12 years. <laughs> Probably 20 years, but um, I might see a few trees come to fruition in maybe 10 to 15. Nice. Yeah. Really lovely. So I want to go <clears throat> a little bit back to kind of your early career. I know that you worked in publishing before opening the restaurants. Can you tell us a bit about that time and what it was that led you into kind of food? Um, yeah, I. Um, Yes, um, I was always fascinated with books. I always knew I wanted to go into publishing. I didn't know that I wanted to go into kind of food publishing or illustrated publishing. Um, I got a job in publishing in London. In fact, I was going to go and study product design, but um, it was product design or publishing, and I got a job in London when it was about, I don't know, 21. So I decided to quit the product design and come to London. Um, And 
went to work at Hodder Headline and um, I guess probably started working on some food books and then just became a bit of an addict. But I, I you know, it was I was always obsessed by food and I think that um, it was the obsession with food because I found food because I'm quite shy and I found that food was a, a way to sort of um, um, break down boundaries, if you like, and to, to, to have, I mean, everybody's have interested a conversation. in food, have conversations yeah. in food and you can be, you know, you can get to know people through food and you can ask questions. And it was my, I guess it was my social crutch, if you like. Um, and so my love of publishing and then my love of food kind of combined. And so that's um, really, I got into more onto the food side in publishing um, and started working with chefs and restaurants. And that's when I sort of thought, hmm, this is interesting. Maybe um, I'll open my own. Um, maybe, yeah. And, 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 and also, um, I think that I had a kind of difficult relationship with my dad. He, my, my parents split up when I was very young. And when I, got, when I got older, again, food was the thing that kind of brought us together. And he would take me to restaurants. And I thought, hmm, this makes me feel good. And it also means I can have a relationship with my father. So um, I started becoming obsessed with the, the restaurant experience because they made me feel better about myself and my relationship with my dad so yeah that's sort of how I got into restaurants or started thinking about restaurants so you open you opened duck soup in 2011 2011 yeah and it's for anybody who doesn't know it's literally across the road yes right in the heart of Soho did you have your heart set on opening something in Soho because there's something about having a restaurant in Soho um no not at all actually I didn't ever think that I could possibly open a restaurant in Soho um it was just uh, I mean I was going to open one in Bethnal Green um and God, um, I mean, it's, yeah, quite funny that I, I, I mean, I see the site and I always go past it on the bus and it's actually been, it's, it's gone through so many different guises now. So I'm quite glad I didn't open there. Um, but no, I mean, we were, it, it was around the time that there was a bit of a financial crash um, and lots of restaurants were struggling. Um, so there was, there were bargains to be had, if you like. So yeah, I kind of just started walking around Soho and I wanted to, I knew I wanted something very small. Mm-hmm. Um, I knew exactly, you know, what I wanted in my head and I, found it in Soho and uh, actually somebody offered it. Someone just sort of said, well, look, you know, what about this? And I was like, wow, <laughs> I could afford that. I could actually make that work. Yeah, it's like prime so, location as well. Prime location, yeah. And there's, yeah. A real, there's a real feeling, I think, to that restaurant. It's got, it's almost kind of like a nostalgia. There's the kind of, there's the vinyl player and there's the ceramics and there's the kind of handwritten blackboard menu and you can kind of tell a lot of thought has gone into it. Was it something that you were conscious of like creating this because it's a great restaurant and the food is fantastic but the space is also it's just such a wonderful space was it something you were kind of consciously creating when you were yes, building totally. it totally and it's also below the colony rooms which adds that yes. extra dimension so we still do get some you know people coming in saying oh you know um the colony rooms and, and actually when we when we kind of took the site on it was just because it's a, just a slither of a place um and we took down a lot of walls so we slightly made it a bigger slither um and behind one of the walls we found this door and um this tiny little door i don't know if anyone has ever been to duck soup but you'll see a blue door um that we uncovered after layers and layers and layers and we kind of had to keep that door because it was the door to the colony rooms um so we have like a cocktail on called the francis bacon obviously in the homage to francis that's bacon. so cool um but we can't get through that door anymore we had to kind of fire door it from the okay. other side but um when we moved in we you know we had all of that green bright green gloss of the colony rooms so kind of you know iconic in that sense um but in answer to your question um yes it was absolutely uh it's completely and utterly contrived it was a you know a collection of so many things that i've been to um in my life, you know, in, in, in other countries, um, you know, simple, not trying. I mean, it, 
obviously it's a, it was a, a thing that I tried hard to create, but the idea was meant to be that it's not trying hard. Yeah, it's like effortlessly sure. cool, what we yeah. all aspire to these days. <laughs> <laughs> but it was an amalgamation of every, you know, of, of uh, I think one of the, um, just going back to, you know, this experience I had of going into restaurants and finding that restaurants were taking me outside of my life, um, and that was a good place that I wanted to be. Um, obviously, my life was shit. Um, um, and then I started to travel and I, you know, sought out restaurants and so on. I realised that how, how different restaurants were in the Mediterranean and the Middle East and so on to how they are in London. And London was ever so, it was, you know, it was, we're going to open a restaurant and it's going to be like this. And we are going to have this chef and we are going to serve this food and we are going to have this decor and it's going to be designed within an inch of its life. You know, still the case today. Quite but stiff as well. Quite stiff. And I just thought, and, you know, and, and obviously travelling opened my mind up to the fact that you know, restaurants or going out to eat wasn't like that in other countries. It was just people were just doing it because they needed to survive and they were opening holes in the walls or these tiny rooms and they were cooking one thing and it was a way of life and it was just relaxing, more relaxed, um, convivial, natural. You know, it wasn't, we didn't, they didn't choose to do it. They did it out of necessity. Mm. And I thought that was a lovely romantic thing because it felt so much better and it felt so much more honest and... Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. You felt that there was personality. Yeah, in that. It, which you definitely feel, and it definitely feels both romantic and honest. I think when you're when you're in there, sort of, and well, effortlessly cool, chic, chic, but <laughs> relaxed, chic. I would say. And then two years later, um, Raw Duck came along, which is sadly no longer with us. But I feel almost like it's been replaced with its little sister, which is of course Little Duck. Um, and both Little Duck, the pickery, and both of the. Um, menus there definitely lean towards the idea of kind of fermenting and pickling mm -hmm. which now is really trendy but especially when you first opened it it was quite a new concept having drinking vinegars and things like kombucha on the menu on kind of a standard menu as well um can you talk a little bit more about the kind of inspiration for those menus and I mean we can throw duck soup in there too because I know it's it's a little they're a little bit different they are definitely have different personalities yes totally um you know it's funny isn't it because um for men, I mean, you know, we do do fermenting and we do pickle and it's part of our DNA at Little Duck. Um, but when we started it, you know, we, uh, we sort of spread our wings and we went to America and we kind of went to the West Coast of America and they were fermenting this and drinking vinegars and we thought, oh God, this is, it was all weird stuff and, and, and quite shit actually. Um, and, you know, I mean, you probably had kombucha over there. It just like blows you up and they drink litres. Yeah, yeah. You're like, yeah, what's going on? But what I would like to say is that weirdly... We, although it was very much heartfelt what we were doing and completely honest because we couldn't not be, it was also following a bit of a trend. We got a trend from somewhere and we brought it here. Mm -hmm. And duck soup was never that. It was it was just an amalgamate. It was a it was it was something innate within me that I just yeah. kind of kept picking up. And it was like magpie, and it was here, and it just kept coming up. I didn't go out to get it, um, and that's why I sort of believe that raw duck doesn't exist anymore. Okay, because it wasn't completely and utterly heartfelt. I mean, it was, because obviously you put everything you want to into it, but it followed a trend. Yeah, okay. And that trend we have taken across to Little Duck, but Little Duck, you'd probably notice, is very much, um, um, uh, you know, duck soup. It feels Yeah, it soup. feels it's like small, a marriage. That, yes, yeah. it's very domestic, it's warm, and yet the pickling obviously is something that we'd started and we were doing and we've got customers and, 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 and we sell to them and we obviously love making seasonal kombuchas and drinking vinegars. But um, I think on a bigger scale, that's why raw duck didn't quite make it. Mm -hmm. I mean, 
Not because, you know, I mean, that, but also, obviously, in Hackney at the time and very recently, rates and rents have been going up and, and everything, and we were a big site and we just couldn't sustain it. But I can blame everything, but I know in my heart that's the truth. It has to have the heart in it. Yeah. That we followed a trend. Followed a trend. <laughs> and it's not always the best thing to do because trends, you know, do end up only having a limited amount of time. But Little Duck is fantastic. And I think it's a, it's a brilliant continuation of, the, of that kind of idea that you started there. So, yeah, you know, yeah, and it's, no, exactly. And it morphed into something else and it brought us something exactly. else. But, you know, yeah, yeah. It's like a cousin or like I said, a little sister. Yeah. Yes, completely. Um, which if people haven't been to, you should definitely visit. It's a yeah, it's, wonderful, it's, they're both wonderful restaurants. Um, so I know you've talked a lot in kind of various interviews about slowing down. And for me, at least cooking is definitely a way of, slowing down do you do you use cooking as a way to kind of wind down mm, yes all the time I know Although, that you like to cook on the weekends <laughs> yeah I mean literally I'll cook for no one um I'll cook lots for no one um I find cooking for you know I like you I'm sure you know you sort of have these like you you plan who you're going to have round and you're going to do this and you do that and you and you do do that and then you realize that actually it's so stressful cooking for a lot of people um, that you you just don't want to do it. So you just kind of close the door and you just cook what you want to cook. And there's leftover. You eat some, you give some to neighbours, you you know, you give it to friends. And yeah. that's, for me, very, very pleasurable. Or you just have a couple of people around. I mean, I've sort of... I've, I've, I've made so many messes of so many different things by inviting... by being too adventurous and inviting too many people over. So now the best thing to do is just close the door. <laughs> close the door. <laughs> So do you like do you like entertain, entertaining? Do you do do you sometimes like to have have people over? Yes, I like to have a few people over. Okay. So what do we what should we expect when we come to, round to Claire Latin's house for supper? Um, God, roast chicken salad. Nice, simple, simple. I mean, you know, I, um, caponata, a couple of kind of little things on the table like a labneh and ducca, uh, maybe some I don't know roasted peppers and some capers. Um, uh, what else? Roast chicken, always some tahini and Yum. yogurt. Good tahini. Um, yeah, but it was just, I mean, my, I, I'll tell you one of my favorite things to cook is actually pork in milk and sage. Okay. Just in a big pot. Um, and then some parmentier potatoes. And that's, you know, people come around, they just get that all the time. And just love it. <laughs> and so do, I mean, some of the things you were reeling off there, they definitely echo the menu of duck soup. Do you, does that menu take inspiration from what you cook at home and vice versa? Do they sort of influence each other? Yeah, I, yeah. I think the menu has always taken inspiration from what we cook at home or how I, how you know, I cooked at home. Um, obviously, it's extended over the years because we, you know, we, we travel to the places that inspire us, which is the places that inform how we cook at home. So, yeah, very simple Mediterranean. Yeah, yum. Um, following the kind of, you know, blue skies, cold and hot. And also that kind of Middle Eastern and even kind of Southeast Asian sometimes you've got. I mean, it's a real yeah. amalgamation of yeah, food culture a bit in there. Sneaks in. Bit of cute. Also, and, and curry leaves. And stuff. Curry leaves, yeah. It's great curry leaf dishes on there, yeah. actually. The, the, the best ingredient ever invented. <laughs> Yum. <laughs> Delicious. So, whilst I was doing my research, I also read this interview with you where you talked. It wasn't an interview about your kitchen table, but you talked very briefly about the process of kind of moving your kitchen table from one house um, to the next. And it really struck a chord with me. So my, my <laughs> kitchen table is, I think still the most expensive thing, single item I've ever purchased. And I had it made by this really lovely 
gentleman in Stoke Newington who made it for me from reclaimed scaffolding. And I, um, I really feel like it's my child. Like it, I live in a rented flat and it was really important to me that when we moved, we were able to take it out. So he built it in a special way that we can sort of take it apart and take it to the next house and house. Um, wishful thinking um, but um, <laughs> take it to the next flat or bed sit or wherever I end up um, and sort of keep it and I'm just going to read the sentence because it's, um, it's exactly how I feel about my kitchen table it would have been a tragedy to have left it behind because of the memories it has fostered the party's food and people it has hosted bring enrichment to my life so it's sort of an, sort of an ode to the kitchen table, um, but it's also so true. I mean, they say the kitchen is the heart of the home, but in a sense, I think it's the kitchen table. You know, it's where we have conversations. It's where we have celebrations. Um, can you talk a little bit about some of those memorable experiences around food or entertaining? Those sort of kind of, you know, formative experiences in in a sense, maybe. I mean, that, that table um, was a kind of old... It's a beautiful old table, and it was... I think it must have been like a, an architect's table or something because there's loads of kind of weird scratches. And I had... I lived in a house with a, my boyfriend at the time who was a chef, and um, we bought the table, and we had to build the kitchen around it because it was so big. And when we obviously... And it's like a really old table, so there's dowels in it that are just like... You know, you get dowels, they're just like so clogged up, you could possibly never get them out of the wood. Um, and when we left, you know, I just thought, my God, I can't... What we can do? We can't knock the wall down because someone's bought this house. Um, and we did eventually find somebody who got the table apart. And they probably asked me about 1,000 times if it was definitely going to go through my front door. <laughs> um, anyway, I had two double doors, so it did go through and it's all fine. Um, but, yeah, that table... Um, there's been some great parties around it. Um, um, probably the most memorable one would be... Um, shit, man, there's been some really bad parties <laughs> around it. But, um, you know... It's a sign I, of a good table. The, yeah. Probably one of the most awful table experiences I've ever had, and which one stays with me for, forever, is... Um, Round the, I mean, my, like I said, my kind of like, you know, my parents split up when I was about, I don't know, seven. Um, but my dad was a stickler for having Sunday lunch, as many, you know, families are, which is great. Um, but he was an absolute perfectionist, so no one could make a single mistake in the cooking, um, and no one could possibly not like anything. Um, and we had this, you know, lovely green, again, actually it was like the colony room table, maybe that was why I was drawn to that, <laughs> this gloss green table. Um, and my brother decided um, we had rhubarb and custard for pudding. And my brother decided that he didn't like rhubarb. And my dad just got the rhubarb and custard and just put it straight, the bowl straight on his head. And the custard just ran down his face. And it was the most horrific experience. Um, anyway, so, yeah, tables and... You definitely ate the, ate, ate the rhubarb and custard then, I presume. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and what about kind of joyful or memorable meals? Because I know that a lot of your, the menu is inspired by travel. There must have been some kind of you know, incredible meals that you had whilst traveling. Well, you know, I mean, tables, um, food doesn't have, food doesn't have to happen around a table. No. I mean, yes. The table yeah. is, is hugely important. I mean, I love to cook on the table, um, and prepare on the table. Um, but I think so many memories around food don't happen around a table. I remember being, you know, like you know, being at somebody's wedding and, um, they got us cooking the meal from nine o'clock in the morning. We were just like, you know, um, podding the peas and, tops and tailing the, the beans and drinking rosé and there yeah. was nothing but grass between us and we're just all sitting around and bliss you know so um food and, and and great memories can be can be anywhere yeah and this this sort of perfection that that my dad was seeking and i've sought but realized it doesn't exist um doesn't exist and so it's great just to be a bit more impromptu and just you know yeah and street food i think is having a real revival 
Yeah. Um, or, or actually, I think we're just being kind of exposed to it, which is partly because we have so many great cultures that are kind of being celebrated in in London, especially. Um, and 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 street food is street food is so cool. Yeah. Like people will travel across like four different boroughs to go and eat some a good kind yeah, of absolutely. traditionally what was street food or ramen or something, which now we will sit down and eat in a restaurant. But yeah. some of them are kind yeah. of pop ups or kind of tiny yeah tiny I mean, the fish things. and chips on the on a, on a yeah curb, great right? best thing yeah yeah <laughs> or a with beach some, with some stinky bins and some wasps. <laughs> I mean, yeah. yeah yeah yeah. Um, yeah, and also, you know, embracing that simplicity because I, I think that, um, you know, sometimes I used to get into this thing where there's no time to cook and I really want to cook and I want to learn and I want to, you know, I'm, you know, on this journey of, like, creating the perfection again. And actually, the, the beauty in cooking is just having the confidence to be sim simple mm -hmm. and just to cook really simply and using very few ingredients. And, you know, because the most important thing is just to, for you to enjoy that process and for, for, for whoever you're cooking for to in, enjoy that with you. So I was going to ask... worse than a stressful cook, right? Yeah, no. That, also terrible <laughs> hosts. Stressful yeah, cooks make absolutely. terrible hosts, exactly. Just make sure you've got someone serving drinks. <laughs> yeah, yeah, the most important, number one tip. Yeah. I was going to okay. ask for your tips for kind of... Because I know you're a big fan of home cooking and that is really what you love. What would be your kind of tips for the home cook? Keep it simple. Keep it simple. Always keep it simple. Don't, you know, just if you're, you know, do a couple, a few plates, one main dish... Or, you know, or one, one simple pasta dish. Mm -hmm. Just, um, yeah. Fresh pasta, because I know that you, you enjoy no, making fresh even. pasta. No, Just yeah, any pasta, yeah, bog-sand spaghetti. Yeah. No, fresh pasta will make you stressed. <laughs> um, definitely not. No, just, yeah, yeah, just bought pasta. Bought pasta. Well, I think one of my go-to dishes when there's, like, nothing and, um, or, you know, if you've got somebody coming over and, you know, if someone pops round, not that many people pop round, but, you know, if someone's coming round, uh, they always think you're going to cook up something. Ooh, wow, yeah. Yeah. You're not, and don't. Um, but always, I always cook, like, I'll, I'll ha I have little, you know, pots of herbs growing outside my front door, so I'll just make, like, you know, chopped herbs, a bit of garlic, some spaghetti, um, and olive oil, and that's it. And, they're, and parmesan, obviously. And they're just like, oh, my God, that's so delicious. What is it? And that's all it is. Yeah. Herbs, parmesan, and garlic. I think, I mean, I think it's, <laughs> you know, it's, it's, it's food like, you want to eat, really, isn't it? Yes. That, and that's the difference. I, I often say that when you're entertaining. Like, don't uh, leave all the fancy stuff. Just leave cook stuff you stuff. people want to eat. Shove some stuff in the oven and have a nice time. And have good wine, because actually and then the food wine. doesn't matter so much. Um, so what about kitchen disasters, then? Because I think a lot of people shy away from entertaining for fear of fucking up essentially yeah. so has there been has there been a time where you messed up in the kitchen oh god loads of times yeah um and i think probably uh, you know it goes back to that keep it simple um overstretching yourself i mean overstretching yourself disastrous i mean the great thing is that a disaster becomes a success because you never do it again mm -hmm. um but you know i mean i i mean i, I yeah, I've cooked for... I mean, I remember cooking, doing this dinner for um, one of my favourite clothing brands and I knew I shouldn't have done it and um, everything broke down on the day. Everything. Was Every it a new site? Machine. Were you cooking in a different site? I was cooking site? in my own kitchen. Oh, OK, OK. Every single one of my domestic appliances broke down, including my oven. Um, and, you know... And, I've and, been there. And my co-pilot fell on the floor with stomach cramps and called the ambulance. I mean, oh, my it gosh! Just, it was just... But, but I just... I said, I'm sorry, I'm cancelling the ambulance because we've got to get this... We've got to do this dinner party. Get up! You know, get up! You've got... And so I had to, like, invent... Um, I mean, I'm sure it was just period pains, but... Um, so I had to invent... I just said, well, I've got... I, you know, I went to Italy quite recently. I've got 
these really magic kind of like, you know, um, paracetamol. They're amazing. And I just gave this story, placebo effect. And she was really amazing. Half an That's hour. so interesting. And, Good um, tactic. Anyway, because when you've got dinner to cook, you've got dinner to cook. Yeah. But that was a disaster. And I will never do it again. But you, you, might, you pulled it together seamlessly. Pulled it together. Not seamlessly, <laughs> but we pulled it together. <laughs> I, I know that you're also an expert in natural wine, um, which is something that actually I know really little about wine in general. I just know that I like quite a lot of it. So is, is there a reason why, why you enjoy it so much and because why you choose to serve it in your restaurant? And if you prefer it to kind of conventional wine, why that is? Um, yes, I definitely prefer to conventional wine. I mean, one, the most obvious fact is that it doesn't, um, you know, there's, it, there's no added sulfate, so there's no chemicals in the field. Everything is done either biodynamically or naturally or organically, and there's no chemicals added during the vinification process. Um, and generally it's made by people who, um, are respectful of the land and respond, you know, uh, responsible farmers and so on. Um, I think when you, you know, when you grow anything well and correctly, it tastes better because it tastes of the terroir that it was grown in. You've looked after the soil, you've looked after how it's grown, you've looked after it in the production or the vinification process. Um, so when I first tasted natural, tasted natural wines, I mean, I just couldn't believe that it tasted so starkly different from yeah, conventional so wines. Yeah, so very different. And every single wine, you know, every, it challenges every... So if, if you're having a Riesling, for example, People might say a Riesling is traditionally, um, you know, petrol, diesel maybe a little citrusy, oily. If you're having a natural Riesling, it can be so far removed from any of those flavour profiles that we know. Everything is just wild and up in the air and representative of who's made it and the terroir it comes from. And I just think that's really exciting. And um, delicious. And delicious. Have you and got you a favourite? Yeah, you don't get hangovers. Well, you That's do definitely... drink four bottles. But yeah, but you're less you likely to get, to get, to get yeah. a hangover. Yeah. Also, all the natural, it's the same thing, it's wine, but the natural sparkling wines as well and kind of natural carvers and all of that, it's the same, same thing. I just, I feel great on that. Yeah. Alarmingly yeah. great. So it's, it's, it's yeah, a warning sign. You're like, you I know. can drink a whole magnum of that and feel amazing. They're so um, delicious. <laughs> you can just pour it back yeah, exactly. and open the next one. Yeah. So when you aren't eating at your own restaurant, where do you like to eat in London? I mean, we're so spoiled for choice. Um, yeah, good question. Well, floor. Yeah. Be. yeah. <laughs> um, floor is James Lowe's new restaurant and um, bakery that's opening today that we both want to go to. Um, but we'll have to go. He's, a, he's an excellent restaurateur and chef. So... Um, um, same old places, really. Um, I don't go for massive new openings or anything like that. I mean, I go to places like Rochelle Canteen, yeah, um, Bread and Wine, uh, Brawn, you know, classics that just are very similar to what we do. Seasonal food done with integrity and honesty and generally probably cooked by the people that open the restaurant. Yeah, and food that you want to eat. And there's yeah. a real difference, actually, I think, between restaurants that are owned by people who want to open a restaurant because they love food and they want to cook versus Absolutely. people who have a concept and... Totally. often come from a big kind of investment fund and it's sort of like puppeteering and finding all the different totally. people. It's a real difference in terms of the whole experience, I think, Absolutely. of that restaurant. You can completely feel it in the air. Yeah, that's, know, that's that kind of feeling of, yeah, yeah. that you get. So I always like to finish up by getting right to the heart of your supper secret. So if you could have three staple ingredients that you, you advise everyone to have in their cupboard to throw together a quick dinner party dish, what would they be? Um, in the cupboard. Yeah. Well, so cupboard, you know, freezer. We can go everywhere in the kitchen. Uh -huh. I've had lots of weird places. Larder, wherever you want. Wherever you want. Well, I think it goes back to my herbs. It's all herbs, allowed yeah. to be there. Is that all like of it? Yeah. Anything's allowed yeah. to be there. Um, Honestly, there's been some weird nuts, stuff. So tahini, 
um, herbs, olive oil, lemon, pasta, anchovies. I mean, that's more than. But anchovies, yeah. everybody tahini says anchovies. Tahini is a bit of a kind of... Where do you get your tahini from? Um, well, I live in East London, so I've got... You can get a lot of good, good, good yeah. Turkish tahini. Okay. But like my, uh, one of my favourites is just like, you know, if there's nothing in the house and there's tahini and there's some toast, just tahini on the toast with some parsley and some salt and so like good. some lovely olive mm -hmm. oil. So good. Yeah, and some dukkah. You can make dukkah yeah. such an easy thing yeah. to make as well. It makes great gifts as well. Yeah. Okay. Like a sesame salt or something mm -hmm. like that. Sesame yeah. salt. That's quite. That's so very cool. So just like toasted sesame cool. seeds with some salt. Oh, with some salt. Maybe okay. a little bit of seaweed in there on okay. the eggs. Yum yum. Yum. Very Fenugreek. simple. Simple salt. Sesame seaweed salt. Fenugreek leaves. Oh my god! You must discuss. Quite curry. difficult to get. Quite mm. difficult to get fenugreek yes. leaves. Yeah. Maybe you not can in get East them London. From Whole Foods. Oh, can you? And you can get them from the health stores in East. Uh, on okay. The, um, Stoke Newton. You can get them in my um, grocer, green grocer actually. But I would say they are so curry leaves very hard to get. Um, but fenugreek leaves, um, they're basically in the store counter if you can get them. And they are so absolute. They transform everything. I put them on yogurt, toast them in frying pans with eggs, the smell. Oh, my God. So good. Yeah, that's my secret <laughs> top ingredient. That's your secret <laughs> top ingredient. So what about your party trick? If Do you have a party trick? You know, if I, if I cornered you at a dinner party, you, you, it can be drink wine. I mean, like, but it could be you could sing, you could dance, you could tell jokes. I mean, you could no, just drink wine. No, my party trick is wash up and make sure everything's tied that's, that's, down. That's that's useful. You definitely you can definitely come definitely come for supper um, at my my house. And then, lastly, if you could have three people, anyone in the world, alive or dead, or fictional, um, to your ultimate dinner party, who would they be and why? Um, now, I th yeah. So I think that um, I've been I listen to a lot of podcasts. Um, Good. I hope you listen I'm to this. I'm obsessed with podcasts. I think we all are at the moment, aren't we? Um, but I would have um, I would have Joel Salatan, who is a do you know you, do you know him? No. Um, he Michael Pollan wrote about him in, okay. in, in a lot of his books, like The Omnivore's Dilemma. Joel Salatan and Wendell Berry, and they're both these kind of um, they're farmers in the in America, but they're kind of philosophers of the land and they're just so wise and everything they know and they talk about the land and the, the sort of, you know, Joe Seltan will say something like, you know, why are we so impatient? The sun rises at the same speed and sets at the same speed every day. It's not impatient. We need to take wisdom yeah, okay. from the sun. You know, they're beautiful, they're fascinating people. So I definitely have those two. And then I think I'd have Joyce Molyneux, who was the, um, she was the first British she was the first female chef to get a Michelin star, and she used to be at the Carved wow. Angel okay. in Dartmouth um, before John Burton Race took it over, and obviously I don't know who has it now. But she was the first, she's about 87 now, and she learned, she was a home cook, and she kind of learned everything from Elizabeth, reading Elizabeth David. Yeah, great. Um, and I remember hearing her, um, I went to Abergavenny Food Festival one year, and um, I can't remember who was doing the talk on the stage, but one of the questions asked in the audience was by Joyce Molyneux. And I was just like, turned around and it's like wow and she just sort of you know she said something about chicken and she said in her day that you know it was the time when Hugh Fernie Whittenstall was doing his you know um get rid of the fucking five pound chicken shit yeah, yeah. um he's kind said, of still doing that now he's always doing yeah, that. yeah now it's the plastic the warm plastic yeah but um she sort of said yes we've got to get rid of the but she said in my day we would have a chicken once a month and yeah. this would have been a celebratory thing, and the family would eat it. And then, obviously, with the bones, they'd make a chick uh, soup, and then they'd yeah. do the stock, and la la la. And I just thought, yeah, you know, that did a proper rear chicken, yeah. a tasty thing. You only need once a month. Yeah, stretch it, stretch it as far as you can go as well. And she was just a wise woman, a lovely home cook, generous, simple. 
Would so, you cook her a roast chicken then? I mean, the pressure's on. Mm, the pressure's on. If it came from Chagford, yes. Yeah, with some <laughs> curry leaves, definitely, on that. Um, but anyway, they're the three people, and I would just sit and listen to them for hours, because you can imagine. So are the first two... I've forgotten their names. Joel, to... Joel Salatan. Yeah. Who has a farm called um, Polyface Farm. And they're, so they're contemporary. The they're alive right they're now. They're alive, Okay, yeah. cool. Um, and, so you uh, could get them around for supper? Yeah. Yeah, okay. Yeah. You have to sort that out. Um, so, and it, what, what's happening for you for 2019? Is there anything exciting coming up? Um, I'm planting the edible forest. Yes, the edible forest. <laughs> yeah, no, that's what I'm doing. I'm planning that. I go down there at weekends. And, nice. Um, yeah, just uh, I can't plant the trees to the autumn because obviously trees need to be planted in the autumn. But I'm just sort of making tracks and doing diagrams and growing some normal vegetables as well because obviously. Yeah. To eat. To eat. Fun, yeah, yeah fun. Yeah, yeah. Until the yeah. trees are ready, of yeah. course. I just um, harvested the first red currants um, this weekend. Oh, deli- I love red currants. Because they the land, and um, I've made a red currant and bay jam. So I delicious. Not about that much, but, you know. They're so great. Yum. Well, thank you so much. And so for people who um, want to kind of follow along with you, where can they kind of keep up with what you're up to on kind of social media, or is it just um, by the restaurants? Yeah, I mean, I don't know people do they go on instagram <laughs> instagram <they>? yeah <laughs> yeah yeah oh the restaurants yeah well i mean i don't really yeah i just have an instagram account like most people in the world and duck soup <laughs> and little duck the pickery both have their oh, own yes. their yes. own accounts as well and yeah. websites they just post their daily dishes yeah which is which are delicious thank you so much for that thank and you thank you everybody me. for thank coming you for listening everybody <laughs> enjoyed this week's episode if you liked it rate it review it talk about it share it and invite your friends around for supper this has been a studio 71 production thanks for listening and i'll see you next week This is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win, and support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years. Basketball has had innovations over the years, too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 